The Bible has the answer to life's problems. That's what we learned today as our study of the Old Testament book of Psalms continues. Welcome to Through the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz, and in just a minute, we'll begin our study of Psalm 138 with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. First, we hear from a fellow Bible bus passenger. He's named Owen. I was raised in a church that taught about Jesus, so I've always believed in God, Owen writes. He continues, I prayed the sinner's prayer in high school and then went on to do so many ungodly things. I'm 43 years old now. I'm not the man Christ made me to be, but I'm on my way. Your ministry is a part of the force that has led me back to the Lord. I was so lost, and now I see the light at the end of the tunnel. Thank you for your time. I'm writing you to say your work is not in vain. It has helped me more than you know. May God bless you all like you all have blessed me. To say thank you isn't even enough. You are always in my prayers. Well, Owen, it's a pleasure to have you join us on the Bible bus each day. Thanks for writing and for sharing your story. Next, here's a note from Betsy in Morseville, Indiana. I listen to Through the Bible online. I can easily access any lesson I want to hear using the Archives tab. Whether I've read a portion of Scripture I'd like to know more about or am preparing for a Bible study or Sunday school lesson, I'd like to see what Dr. McGee has to say. When the Bible bus was traveling through Nehemiah, our Saturday night pastor also began a series of sermons in Nehemiah. This happy collision was certainly a blessing for me. I introduced my husband and grandson to Dr. McGee's teachings, and they said they've benefited too. God bless you all. A happy collision. I love that description. Thanks for your note, Betsy. And then here's what Betty in Colorado emailed to us. Through the Bible is my daily bread. I tell everyone who will listen to me that they need to join me. When I was saved in 2000, I jumped in headfirst and never looked back, doing about every Bible study offered. When I found this program, I was hooked from the start. I listened to many Bible teaching programs, but this is the one I never miss. I recently challenged my graduating daughter to listen for 30 days. I believe she will be hooked too. Please join me in praying that she will listen and open her heart to God's truth. Thank you for all you do. May God richly bless you. Well, thank you, Betty. And as your daughter listens, you can have the confidence that God's word will accomplish what God wants in her life. He promises his word will not return void. Our final note is from David in Missouri. I first started listening in 1987. All these years, I've never turned around or jumped off the Bible bus. A few years ago, as I was studying Job with Dr. McGee, something snapped inside me. I now live my life as a confessing Christian. I am a monthly supporter. I pray every day for the growth of all Christian radio and TV ministries. Thank you for all you do. Well, I agree, David. That study in Job is a good one. Thanks, and also thank you for your financial and prayer support that helps keep the Bible bus rolling in your community and in more than 250 languages all around the world. You know, and we're grateful for those who support Through the Bible as we travel together through God's Word. If God's blessing you with our daily studies, then return the blessing by providing a tank of gas or an oil change for the Bible bus. Visit ttb.org forward slash give, or just call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE. That's one 800 652 Four two five three. Now let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray for the spiritual growth of all who listen to this program. We ask that you increase our spiritual wisdom and knowledge according to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now here's Dr. J. Vernon McGee with our study of Psalm 138 and 139 on Through the Bible. Now friends, last time I barely got into the 138th Psalm. If you have your Bible, and it'll turn there, we'll deal with it rather hurriedly. But it is an important psalm, and as we said last time, it is a psalm of David, and it's rather in contrast to the 
psalm that precedes it, Psalm 137. There we saw Israel in Babylonian captivity down by the irrigation canals in Babylon. They put their hearts on a willow tree and they wept when they remembered Zion. But here is a wonderful prophetic hymn of praise. And it looks into the future. It looks to the time when the remnant will take up their harps again and sing praise unto God. Now, this is a psalm of David, which he wrote. And it begins like this, and I'm reading this translation that's before me. I will give thanks unto thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praises unto thee. Now, I will give thanks unto thee with my whole heart. One of the things that impressed me in my last visit to Jerusalem was the fact that the nation Israel, as they have come to the Wailing Wall again, you see them standing there, many of them, with a little book going through a ritual, some of them actually butting their heads against the wall, some of them wailing, going through a lip service that I'm sure touches the heart of many of them. But a great deal that you see there is just like ritualistic Christianity today, or probably I should call it churchianity, and it's nothing in the world but lip service. A great deal of our service is that. But after these people have been through the time of Jacob's trouble, great tribulation period, and they've been delivered out of it. I tell you, there'll be no longer lip service. It's going to be heart worship. I'll give thanks unto thee with my whole heart. We need to examine our hearts and see just how we're worshiping God. Is it really with our whole heart? One of the things impressed me about Horatius Bonar was that he said that he went to God to repent of the coldness and indifference in his life and the sin in his life. And then he says, I went back to God and repented of my repentance. It was just a lip service, you see. And he was repentant of that. I think that some of us on Monday morning ought to go to God in prayer and ask him to forgive us for going to church on Sunday. Lord, forgive me that I went to church yesterday. I went to church, and all I did was I sang the hymns lustily, but my heart wasn't in it. I prayed, but it was just merely a formality. I didn't enter into it, and as I listened to the sermon, the Word of God, it had no effect on me. I criticized the preacher, and I criticized everything that was there but I never criticized myself. God forgive me for going to church like that. May I say to you, that would be a good thing for many of us. Now there's something else that's interesting here. He says, before the gods will I sing praises unto thee. Now, Luther and Calvin, they explain here that the gods were angels of God. I don't think it's quite that. And others think that actually what he's talking about are the idol gods of the nations. And he certainly could be talking about that. 
but anything that you would have in place of God in your life. Or what is between you and the living and true God could actually be atheism. Whatever it is, is your God. A man said to me, says, I don't believe there's a God. Well, I said, that's interesting. When you say you don't believe that there is a God, what you are really saying that there is a possibility there is a God, but you just don't believe in him at all. To you, God is out there, but you can't believe in him. May I say to you, I think that's the position of the average so-called atheist. He's really an agnostic. We have seen this word before, and we saw it, you will recall, back in Psalm 82, 6. And there it referred to the judges, those that are in the place of God down here, the representatives of God. I've always been mindful of the fact that as a minister and a preacher and teacher of the Word of God, that I'm to give the Word of God out, and I'm not responsible to you, but I am responsible to God. I have to answer to him because of the fact that people will look to you. And if you don't make the gospel clear, who is? And there's one thing. I look back upon my ministry, I see much of failure. I have many regrets. I'll be very frank with you. But there's one thing that when I look back, I can say this. And I can look in the face of God and say this, Lord, I preached your word the best I could. I did it the best I could. And you know that's a great comfort because you do stand in the place of God. And judges that have a man that come before them, their life is in the balance. Now you can escape the responsibility as many judges are doing today and say, oh, I'm civilized and will not execute that man. But my friend, you're standing in the place of God and he's going to call you to account someday. And maybe you're going to find out you weren't nearly as civilized as you thought you were. May I say to you that I do not know exactly what David meant here, but he says, before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. And it could mean you see several things. Now he says, I'll worship before thy holy temple. And it could be the tabernacle and confess thy name. And when he says here, for thou hast magnified thy word according to all thy name, someone has rendered it like this and probably a much better translation. Thou hast magnified thy saying according to all thy name. In other words, God's word is back of what he says. God's word is as good as he is, because he's back of his word. And that is the thing that you'll recall that you find elsewhere in the Scripture. This psalmist has been saying, I'll confess thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth's sake. And thou hast magnified thy saying in accordance with thy name. In other words, he's fulfilled it in such a manner as to bring out all that the name implies. That's a very wonderful statement. Now, as we drop down here to verse 6, you'll notice he says, For Jehovah is high and regardeth the humble, but the proud he knoweth afar off. Jehovah is high. He is over all, yet he'll condescend to the lowly, and he regardeth the humble. What a wonderful picture this is. And there's so much said in the Word of God 
about the fact that God regards the humble. Humility is really something that God regards. And proud man today just doesn't seem to be an expert at displaying humility. James, that practical writer in James 4, 6 said, God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace unto the humble. And we're told in Scripture, humble yourself, therefore, under the awful hand of God. This is something, as you can see, that God takes note of and something that God recognizes. There's a great deal in the Word of God that is said about this matter of humility. Over in the 131st Psalm, you remember, this is the thing that David said, Jehovah, my heart is not haughty, mine eyes are not lofty. David took an humble place. And you find in Psalm 138, 6 that we've had here, Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. And then we have this in Isaiah 57, 15. And I'm reading, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that's of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. And then again in Isaiah 66, to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. And then Peter in 1 Peter 5, 5 said, be clothed with humility for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. And again, in 1 Peter 3, 4, he says, A meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. All of these very wonderful scriptures reveal the fact how God regards humility. And we have that mentioned here in this psalm. Now it closes on this note, verse 8. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the works of thine own hands. And that's the Old Testament way of saying Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this very thing, that he that hath begun a good work in you, he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now that brings us to Psalm 139. And Psalm 139 is another psalm of David's. And this is a theological psalm. This is a psalm that reveals something of the attributes of God in relation to his creation. And we have God's omniscience, omnipresence, omnipotence here. Now, those are great big words I recognize. But the omniscience of God means God has all knowledge. The omnipresence of God means God is present everywhere. And then the omnipotence of God means that he has all power, and he can do anything that is the object of power. But sometimes the ridiculous question is asked, can God make a rock so big that he can't lift it? And the answer to that is God never does anything ridiculous, and he doesn't do that. Now, this is a psalm that's going to answer several questions for us that are very pertinent at the present moment. 
Let me begin reading it. We have first the omniscience of God. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. God knows you and me. He knows you today. He is the greatest psychologist. And that's the reason that many of you over the period of the past two and a half years in this program, I've suggested when we come to it in scriptures that when you have a problem, it's not necessary to climb upon the psychiatrist's couch and tell him everything. Why don't you climb upon the couch of the Lord Jesus? And why don't you just tell him everything? And you just well tell him because he knows. The psychiatrist won't know. Even after you've told him everything that you can think of, he still doesn't know you. But Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. God knows you because he knows everything. Thou knowest my downsitting, mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassed my path and my lying down. Thou art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but, lo, Lord, thou knowest it all together. And by the way, that word that you were a little afraid to say, it was in your tongue, and you wanted to rip out a good strong oath, and you didn't do it because of the presence of someone there. God saw it in your tongue, you know? He knows everything. He knows those words that are in your tongue. And we are told, there's not a word in my tongue, but, lo, Lord, thou knowest it all together. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain to it. Now, somebody asks the question, how can God do that? Well, I don't know, because the psalmist here said he didn't know. Such knowledge is too wonderful for us. But it doesn't keep God from knowing everything. And actually, the omniscience of God is not an occasion for terror, but actually for comfort. You know, he saved me, and yet he knew me. <laughs> That's the amazing thing about it. There's some people that you and I accept or receive, and we say, my, I've been disappointed in so-and-so. I've been disappointed many times, as I'm sure you have, in certain individuals. You thought you knew them, but you didn't know them. God knows us, and yet he'll save us. How wonderful he is. God knew David, and yet he's a man after God's own heart. But Lord, David's going to let you down. God says, I know that, but I know something you don't know. That David's faith will fail, but down beneath the faith that fails, there's a faith that'll never fail. And that's the important thing. Lord, you shouldn't have chosen Simon Peter. He's going to be a great disappointment to you. No, he won't be a disappointment to me. I already know what he's going to do. And even Judas, he knew. That's the omniscience of God. Now look at the omnipresence of God. And the question is, why should anyone want to get away from God? You can't. No matter where you go, he's there. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Now this is verse 7 of Psalm 139. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, thou art there. Friends, you can't get away from him. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, you won't get away from God and you could go to the moon. You don't get away from him. To me, it was thrilling to hear those first three astronauts who went around the moon to read the first chapter of Genesis. On Christmas Eve, 
You don't run away from God, friends, even if you go to the moon. And even there shall thy hand lead me, thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day, and the darkness and the light are both alike unto thee. The man said to me, do you think we ought to confess our sins in detail unto God? I said, of course, spell them out. Oh, he said, you think we ought to mention them? Well, I said, he already knows about it anyway, so you better agree with him on it. You better spell the thing out and let him know that you know it too and that you recognize it as sin. Now we come here in this last part to the omnipotence of God. Now will you notice this beginning here with verse 13. For thou hast possessed my inward parts, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb, I'll praise thee, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hidden from thee when I was made in secret and intricately wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Now, there's been quite a discussion today on this matter of abortion. I heard a minister say, well, the Bible hasn't anything to say about it. So you can do as you please in this connection. Now, this is the answer to it. You know, the Word of God will probably give you the answer to most problems in life. David said that he was a person. Listen to him now. My substance was not hidden from thee when I was made in secret and intricately wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. He said, while I was being formed in the womb, I was a person. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unformed. The very minute that there begins to form a person in the womb, that one is a person. And in thy book all my members were written. He's already got your members there of your body already marked out, which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. You didn't need even a complete body to be a person. You were a person. Now, let me say this, and I want to say it very carefully, and I know I'll get reaction, but somebody better start saying this to Christians at least. Abortion, if it's not to save the life of the mother or to save the life of actually the child at times, is murder. And just to get rid of the little fella in order that the sin might not be known. My friend, if you're going to commit the sin, then you're going to pay for the sin. And if you destroy that little one, you have committed murder. That's what the Word of God says. Now, don't blame that on me. You go back and blame David, first of all, but I think you better go back of David and blame the Holy Spirit. This is a tremendous psalm. And he's talking here, if you please, about the omnipotence of our God. Then you have the wicked and the godly mentioned. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. God will judge the wicked, he says that here, and he will hear the prayer of his people. Until next time, may God richly bless you, my beloved. To listen to this message again, visit ttb.org. Or if we can help you find a resource by Dr. McGee, call 1-800-65-BIBLE. How effective are your prayers? 
Well, find out next time as we continue our five-year journey through the entire Word of God. To close today's study, here's a little postscript from Dr. McGee. May I give you this thought to take with you as you get off the Bible bus today? There are two bits of doggerel I'd like to share with you. The first by Gillette Burgess goes like this. I wish that my room had a floor. I don't so much care for a door, but this walking around without touching the ground is getting to be quite a bore. Then another one. Of all the sad surprises, there's nothing to compare with treading in the darkness on a step that isn't there. It's wonderful to have a foundation in under you in this life. The Word of God says in the 119th Psalm, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in the heaven. It doesn't even rest upon the things of this earth, because God is going to shake, he says, the whole outfit someday, in order that we might know there are certain things you cannot shake. Jesus made it Today's study with Dr. J. Vernon McGee is brought to you by Through the Bible, and it's made possible by the generous prayer and financial investments from listeners like you on the Bible bus all around the world.